It looked good on paper. Those are terrible words to hear, aren't they? It means you put some plan together, that you've thought about something, that you've, you've tried as best you can to come up with an idea of how things are going to work. You've spent time dreaming and formulating this idea of what you're going to do. And then for whatever reason, it just falls apart. It doesn't work out the way you'd planned. It just crumbles. Steph and I, when we first moved to Washington State, we moved here from Washington State. I'm originally from Florida. Steph's from Iowa. And when we first moved to Washington State, Emma, our oldest, she was a little over one at, uh, at Christmas time. And we thought, hey, Washington State, it's the evergreen state. We got to get a real life Christmas tree this year. And so we, we bundle up in our winter clothes and we drive up the mountain to a Christmas tree farm and you know, we head out and we look around and we find the perfect Christmas tree, you know, just, just the right one. And I get down, I cut it down and everything, and we drag it over, haul it over, pay for it, take it to the car. And then by that time, it had been a little while, and Emma was ready to go. So she's kind of fussing a little bit. It's cold outside. So we get her in her car seat, get the car going, warm things up for her a little bit. And we try to figure out how it is we're going to get this Christmas tree uh, in our Honda Accord back to our house. And so we're, we're looking at things, and I came up with the greatest plan, you know, just a perfect idea. We rolled down the windows a little bit, and we, uh, why the, why the uh, Emma's in the back seat, and we get the rope going through the windows, and, and then we close the doors and put the blankets up on top of the roof, and put that Christmas tree on top of the blankets and tied that sucker down as tight as we can get it. I mean, that thing wasn't going anywhere. And then we went to open the car door. <laughs> that car door wasn't going to open. We had tied all the doors shut and Emma is inside and she's crying. And Steph couldn't get to Emma, so now I've got a crying baby and a panicked mama. It looked good on paper, you know, it just didn't work out. You've all done something like that, though, haven't you? You know, where you, you get a plan together and you work hard and you think this is going to work just great. This is, this is going to be perfect. And then for whatever reason, it doesn't happen. It doesn't work out. And a friend or a spouse or someone, they lean in and they're trying to be encouraging. They're trying to be supportive. And they say, it looked good on paper. Like, oh, that's the last thing I wanted to hear. It just failed. Um, you know, we're living in a culture right now where the teachings of Jesus, a lot of people, they look at scripture and they say, you know, it looks good on paper, but in real life, it just doesn't work. Like it, it, you put in Jesus' words and he tells you, hey, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn, turn to him the other also. And you're like, man, if I do that, I'm just going to be slapped around in this world. And Jesus says, hey, if someone takes your coat, give them your overcoat as well. Like, well, in this world, if I'm just giving away coats, I mean, there's going to be a line because people, if they find that out, they're just going to be there ready for their coat. I mean, these teachings, they look good on paper, but do they really work in real life? You know, what makes the book of Ruth stand out is that this story takes place during the dark, violent days of the judges. I mean, if you have a child who's learning how to read and you want them to read the Bible, the book of Judges is not where you're going to have them start reading, okay? I mean, if there's a rating on the book, it's PG at the very least. You've got graphic violence. You've got mature themes. It's not the book you're sending your kids to start reading. 
Um, because these are dark days. These are evil days. These are rough days. These are bad days. These are days when everyone is hearing, you know, whatever kind of snippets of scripture they've heard. And they say, hey, you know, it looks good on paper. It just doesn't work. I'm going to do what seems right in my own eyes. And so in a culture like that, here's Ruth and Boaz who decide to live life according to God's standards, based on God's truth. This story, like so many others in the Bible, proves that God's word is not simply a plan that looks good on paper. It's truth that you can live by. Go ahead. I want you to see what continues to happen and unfold in the story of Ruth. We'll begin in chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. Ruth, chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. Last week, if you were with us, we kind of witnessed the most beautiful, the most unique engagement story. Ruth went to Boaz right when the clock struck midnight and she proposed to him. And it was the type of proposal that just reading that story and just imagining how it took place that it gives you goosebumps a little bit just to think about it. You can almost feel the butterflies that must have been fluttering around inside of Ruth's stomach as she proposed to Boaz. But right after this, we we get to read this week Boaz's response to Ruth. And the the plot begins to thicken. Because with every relationship of any consequence, not not just an engagement relationship, but any relationship, son, daughter, parent, child, brother, sister, friend, coworker, any relationship of any consequence deals with adversity. The challenges arise, that difficulties come, and you, and you got to face those. And so that's exactly what's going to happen here. And what we're going to see are some keys to build healthy relationships. And these keys, they don't just look good on paper. They're God's design for the way relationships ought to work. Let's go ahead and check it out. Ruth chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. And Boaz said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured it out, six measures of barley, and put it on her. Then she went into the city. Okay, so Ruth just proposes to Boaz, and here's Boaz's response. And his initial response, talked a little bit about last week, it's just praise to God for Ruth. He's, he's blown away by her character and the integrity of this woman, and he plays, praises God, and he says, you know, I, I thought your character that you first displayed, the way that you would leave everyone in Moab, you'd leave your family, you'd, you'd leave your, your gods there, and you would stay connected to Ruth, your, or to Naomi, your mother-in-law. 
And, and you would adopt the Israelite God, the one true God. That, that kindness was so great. But this, this kindness now that you've shown me, I can't get over it. The fact that you would choose me, that you would choose me of all the men out there. You know, there's younger men and, all, and maybe more wealthy men than I, but you would choose me. You know, we've watched Boaz, this wealthy landowner. We, we, we've seen him now a little bit. We've seen the way that he cares for his employees, the way that he's cared for Ruth. We saw him roll up his sleeves last week and just the hard worker that he is and how he even slept there on the threshing floor to guard his grain. And we know that he's a wealthy landowner. I mean, we see that he has employees, that he owns fertile fields. And so we know about Boaz. And, and, and then there's Ruth. And we know about her. She's this destitute woman. She has nothing tangible to offer. I mean, and to redeem her is going to require money, quite possibly neighborhood gossip, political scorn. And Boaz says to her, I am so thrilled that you want me. See, Boaz understands that what matters most is that you would prioritize God above all else. The reason that Boaz shot right up out of bed and said yes to Ruth is because everyone in the city, not just Boaz, but everyone in the city knows of Ruth's character. They know that she is a worthy woman, a woman of excellence. That's what they know about her. It's not, oh, she's so talented or she's so beautiful or she's so charming or she's got this wonderful personality. All that may have been true. We don't know. But what they know about her, what stands out about her is her character, that she is a woman of excellence. The same thing that was said about Boaz in chapter 2, being a man of excellence. But this is the first key to building a healthy relationship, that you prioritize God above all else. That you prioritize God above all else. When you think about it, when Ruth set off to Bethlehem, she, she didn't leave Moab in search of a husband. In fact, she pretty much gave up the search of a husband to go to Bethlehem. The prospects of finding an Israelite husband when you're a Moabite woman is next to nothing. We talked about how small the clan is. It's not, it wasn't likely that she was just going to bump into a kinsman redeemer. No, no she was giving up all that. That, that. that was not Ruth's objective, it was Naomi's. I mean, right from the beginning, Naomi is saying to Ruth and Orpah, hey, you need to go back to your mother's house. Perhaps back in Moab, Moab your, your mom can arrange some kind of husband for you. You can meet a nice Moabite man. That was never Ruth's priority. Her priority was clinging close to her mother-in-law, Naomi, because she was now worshiping the one true God and her concern was serving him. Boaz Looking at him, he's not out like flashing his wealth around, trying to win the heart of some young, beautiful Israelite. I mean, he's a man of integrity. During the dark days of the judges, he's treating his employees and he's, he's petitioning his employees to worship God. And he's standing out with his testimony and his life to them. He's a shining example in, in dark, difficult days. So if you want to have healthy relationships You'll prioritize God above all else because you realize that unless you have a healthy relationship with the Lord, that every other relationship in life is going to suffer. I mean, we're all sinful. We, we all bring sin to the table. None of us are perfect. But we understand how to make things right, how to deal with conflict, how we're supposed to treat others else. 
We understand how our relationship with God works because then he informs everything else. And so if you want to be a good mom or dad, you got to be a good Christian. If you want to be a good employee or an employer, you got to be a good Christian. If you want to be a good neighbor, a good friend, a good husband, a good wife, a good son, a good daughter, a a good student, you must be a good Christian because your relationship with God, that vertical relationship, informs all of the horizontal relationships. And so God, through Jesus Christ, he invites us to be his sons and daughters that we sing about and to treat one another the way that he's designed it to, to work. He, he knows the key, and the key is you got to prioritize him above all else. And if you think about Ruth and Boaz, I mean, really, they seem com- incompatible at every level. You look at it, you got, you got one is wealthy and one is poor. One's an Israelite, one's a Moabite. There's this age gap. A lot of scholars believe that uh, Boaz could have been as much as 20 years older than Ruth. You know, one has employees, the other is unemployed. You know, this relationship is going to work because they both prioritize God above all else. That's the solid foundation. That's the firm footing upon which any relationship ought to be built. And, and, and this is how they're going to build their relationship. And so Boaz is thrilled. He wants to marry Ruth. He's excited, but the plot thickens. Boaz says... There's a closer redeemer than I. Can you just imagine the heartbreak in those words? I think it must have been tough for Boaz even to spit that out of his mouth. He knew it was true, but just to say it, there's a closer redeemer than I. I mean, I could imagine that Ruth even started to cry as she heard those words, or at the very least, fought back tears because she wants Boaz to marry her. She wants Boaz to redeem her. And Boaz wants to marry Ruth. Boaz wants to redeem Ruth. But on the threshing floor there at midnight, he breaks the news to her, Ruth, I want to marry you. I'm so thrilled that you would choose me. I'm so excited that you would ask me, that you would want me to redeem you, to marry you. But there is a closer redeemer than I. And the only right thing to do is to go to him first and to see if he desires to redeem you, to marry you. Boaz is straightforward and honest with Ruth. He tells her exactly what the situation is. See, this relationship is built on truth. There's no secrets. Boaz isn't trying to hide the fact from Ruth that there's another closer redeemer He's not trying to settle things behind her back and anything like that. And and he knows, hey, by telling her this, it's going to worry her. It's going to sadden her. It's going to be difficult to hear. These aren't easy words. It's hard. But Boaz honestly tells Ruth the situation. See, another key to building healthy relationships is to be honest and straightforward. To be honest and straightforward. Imagine for a moment that Boaz wasn't honest with Ruth, that that he didn't tell her that there was this closer relative, that he just decided that, hey, I can do everything behind Ruth's back, that I can try to make things right, and I can convince him not to redeem her, and I can just make it work behind her back and never let Ruth in. he, He would rob Ruth of the opportunity of praying for this situation. 
He'd rob Ruth of of the joy of seeing this relationship face whatever adversity comes and the joy of seeing that overcome. He He would rob Ruth of just the way that a relationship is supposed to be built on truth and honesty, on sharing difficult times together as well as joyous times together. And you know that eventually somebody's gonna come around to Ruth and and tell her what had happened. And at that moment, Ruth is gonna feel betrayed that why why would you not have told me? Why would you not have let me in on that? See, imagine for a moment that Boaz wasn't straightforward with Ruth. Perhaps he tried to act like it wasn't that big of a deal or kind of dance around the situation a little bit, beat around the bush. He would have robbed Ruth's confidence in him. That that he is going to go like this very morning, hey, as soon as I wake up, I'm going straight for him. That builds confidence. Ruth already is confident in Boaz, but that just builds it. That just affirms it. But if he acts like it's no big deal, like, hey, it's just a little thing, a little small matter that we'll address and get it taken care of, it it lessens the confidence. He would have seemed weaker, not as trustworthy. See, we know this. We know this in our own relationships, that dishonesty erodes trust as fast as anything else. I mean, you want to kill a relationship, you just lie to them, right? Right? You just be dishonest to whoever it is, whatever relationship you have, and you will erode the trust in that relationship. You can't build a healthy relationship when it's built on lies, when it's built on secrets. I mean, you you never know when you can trust what's coming out of the other person's mouth. If you can trust them, if you can't trust them, if what they're telling you is true, if they're just lying to you, you don't know. So you got to be honest. You got to be straightforward. And I recognize that there are times that, hey, not everybody needs to know everything. And sometimes Steph and I will be sitting down at the table and we'll be having a conversation that's just for us, right? Our kids don't really need to know the ins and outs of everything, the finances or whatever else, you know? And so they they don't really need to know that. And so part of this conversation, you know, mom and dad, we're talking about something important. And so you just need to go in the other room and play a little bit and just trust that it's best if you just let us have this conversation, it's the same thing with friends. You know, sometimes you've got a friend and they just want to know all the, all the ins and outs, all the details. Say, so, hey, just, can you fill me in? What's going on over there? And you've got to be honest and straightforward and just say, hey, you know, you don't really need to know that information. It's not really going to help matters if we let you know what's going on. You just need to trust that everything's working out okay. You be honest, you be straightforward. And when, with that kind of directness, that builds confidence, that builds trust. And then when that person goes through something later on in life, they know, you know, I can, go to, I can go to him. I can go to her because they're not just going to spill the beans, let the cat out of the bag to everybody else. This is a trustworthy person. This is a relationship that's healthy, that I can trust, that I can go to, that they are trustworthy. There's another key revealed here in Boaz's response to Ruth. He says, Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. We read that, and we ask the question, how could Boaz say that? How could he say, like, if if this guy wants to redeem you, good, let him redeem you. It, It sounds like he has a concrete 
brick for a heart. You know, you're looking at that. No, Boaz, that, you can't say that. Where's the emotion? Where's the feelings? This is the woman you love, the, the girl of your dreams. How, how can you say that if he wants to redeem you good, let him do it? See, Boaz is a man of character. He submits his emotions to the law of God and says, you know, this must be settled legally. There's a legal principle. There's these laws that God has set up, and I must submit to that. This is the next key for building healthy relationships. Submit to God's standards. Submit to God's standards. Boaz, he, he could have let his emotions lead the way. He, he could have just charged straight ahead and found some kind of loophole. Maybe he tried to marry Ruth right away and just say, oh, I didn't even realize there was a closer redeemer. I, I forgot all about that, but we're married now. You know, oh, well, yeah, yeah, he could have tried to do something like that. He could have found some friend, some counselor who, who just told him, you know, you know, uh, Boaz, it's, it's good that you want to marry her. Um, no one else would love her the way you would love her. No, no, no other guy would treat her the way you're going to treat her. This is good that you go ahead and get married. It, it's all right. You know, he could have found a friend who just reassured him and told him, hey, Boaz, you're not getting any younger. If this feels right, you know, if you really love her, just go ahead and do it. Marry her. You need to get over any kind of guilt that you may have. I mean, God created love, and he wants you to be happy. Just go on. Marry the girl. You see, does any of this advice sound familiar? It's the same kind of stuff you hear today. The same kind of counsel you hear today. And Boaz would have received the same stuff back then. If he'd have gone to his friends, his worldly friends, he could have found a counselor, a pastor, you know, whoever, who would have told him just what he wanted to hear. But Boaz, he doesn't want worldly counsel. He doesn't want what's peddled during the day. Boaz is seeking to live life according to God's standards. And he knows there's someone else in line before me. And if he chooses to redeem Ruth, well, good. Because we have to trust that if we live according to God's standards, that God's going to look after us. That he's going to make everything all right. That ultimately, it will be good. It will be hard. It will be difficult. It will be painful but you can trust it will be good. And in the meantime, hey, Boaz, he's going to be honest about it. He's going to live according to God's standards, but you can bet he's working as hard as he can so that he can be the one who's going to marry and redeem Ruth. He he doesn't want this other guy to have her. He wants her, but he wants her in the right, proper way. And when you meet someone who is willing to set aside their feelings, who's willing to set aside their emotions, who's willing to set aside their preferences in order to submit to God's standards, I mean, you've found a winner. You you found someone who you can build a healthy relationship with, any relationship. And Boaz essentially says, hey, I I would rather remain single and lose the love of my life than disobey the standards that God has set up. Their submission to God's standards It's seen throughout the love story of Ruth and Boaz. I mean, Boaz says it at the end here, hey, just lie down until morning. We discussed it last week, but Boaz, he's he's not trying to take advantage of Ruth. And Ruth didn't go there trying to solicit Boaz. This is purity. 
This is submitting to God's standards. Because if you find a man who demands your body before he declares his vows, probably not worth taking his name. And if you find a woman who uses her body to manipulate a man's heart, then you have no reason to trust her heart. And what we see in Bethlehem, he highly are two sinners. They're not perfect, but we see two sinners who happen to be highly committed to God. A man and a woman who have pledged quietly their love for one another, and they want to wait in purity to see how God would act, how he would continue to redeem this love story. And, it, and if you read that story and you read the story of Ruth and you, and you see this, and you know, I know some of you would say, ah, I wish that that was the fairy tale that I had lived. Yeah, I, I wish that I had done things differently, that I've got some regrets and I've got some things that if I had to do over, I would do it over. I want you to know that even though sometimes you get led by your emotions and you decide to follow your emotions instead of God's standards, that none of us have followed God's standards perfectly. That we've all fallen short. We've all missed the mark. That none of us have done it. And it's why we need a savior. It's why we need Jesus. And he welcomes us with his perfect love. He doesn't shun us because of our sin, but he welcomes us in and he says, hey, I want to redeem this relationship so desperately that I will send my one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. And God is able to take all the dirt and all the muck and all the sin and all the stain. He's able to redeem it and he's able to impute the righteousness of his son onto you so that you can be presented to God perfect, holy. That who you were doesn't have to define who you will be. That what happened in the past does not have to define your future. Because God is a God who redeems things and he's able to make all things new. Morning comes and Boaz sends Ruth on her way. He's protecting her reputation and he's giving her, he says, hey, before you go, I got to give you some barley. You can't go back to Naomi empty-handed. And so he fills her cloak up with barley, six measures full, whatever that is, however much a cloak could carry probably. And let's see what happens when Ruth gets back to Naomi. Ruth 3, 16 through 18 says, And when she came to her mother-in-law, Naomi said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but he will settle the matter today. Ruth returns to Naomi, and Naomi asks, hey, how'd it go? The literal question there in the Hebrew is, who are you? It sounds kind of like a strange question, doesn't it? But what, what Naomi is really asking is, who are you now? <laughs> you know, now, now that you've declared your intentions to Boaz and what you would like Boaz to do for you, you know, are you going to be the bride of Boaz or what? I mean, she's asking, did he say yes? 
I mean, Naomi, she's planted. She's got wedding bells in her mind, and she wants to go pick out the perfect dress and find just the right wedding colors and, and all that. I mean, she's, she's writing the invitations already. I mean, she's excited. So, hey, did he say yes? And this is Ruth told Naomi all that Boaz had done for her. I'm sure that she recounted every little detail. Every promise that he had made, every, every word that he had said, just the tone in his voice, the expression on his face, that Naomi's there asking like a million questions. What about this? What about this? And Ruth is just filling her in on all the details. Because in the process of Ruth being redeemed, Naomi is being redeemed as well. But there's only one line that gets recounted. She, it says that Ruth told her all that had happened, but there's one line that's mentioned. It's the line that you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. It was at the end of chapter one, if you remember, that when, Bo, when, when Naomi returned to Bethlehem, she says to the women in Bethlehem, I'm empty. It's the same word that's used here. It's, she comes back and, and Boaz says to Ruth, I can't send you back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. You can't go back empty. See, Naomi is being redeemed as well. Here's a woman who'd previously looked at her situation and as tragic and as heartbreaking and as desperate as it was, she thought she had nothing left to live for. She thought her life was essentially over. I mean, it's tragic. You look at her and she's mourning for her yesterdays. She's unable to shine in the present. She's just wallowing in self-pity, wishing life was different. But Naomi here, she's not empty anymore. Hope has flooded her heart. Her redemption has begun as well. And she gives Ruth some advice that Really, she could have heard a couple chapters ago. It would have been useful for her a little while ago. She tells Ruth to wait. Just wait. Just sit still. And we're reading that advice. and We're saying, how in the world do you expect this woman to wait and sit still? I mean, if you're Ruth, you know what's going on, right? You're just pacing around the floor all day just wondering, okay, is it going to happen? You're peeking out the window. Okay, is, is, is he coming? Every time you hear a cart go by, like, could that be Boaz? Just looking at the front door and hoping, come on, Boaz, just knock on my door. Tell me that it's going to work out for us. What's going on? I mean, how do you wait? How do you sit still? Don't, don't miss this. Ruth can do nothing. She is powerless to redeem herself. See, the law can only reveal to her the condition that she is in and the total dependency that she must have on her redeemer. She is powerless. She can do nothing. This is such a powerful picture of you and me because all the law can do is tell us that we don't measure up. All the law can do is tell us that we've fallen short of God's standards, that we are powerless to redeem ourselves, And all we can do is tell our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, that we love him. And ask him, if you would come and just spread your garment over us, will you cover us with your authority and your protection? Will you be my Redeemer? And when we do that, we discover something amazing. Just like Ruth, we discover that our Redeemer loved us first. 
that we were the ones who were lost. And after all, he, he wasn't lost. He found us. He came for us. And he redeemed us. Because Jesus Christ alone is capable of meeting the conditions of the law and, and adopting us into another family, into his family. He has chosen us to be his bride. We're powerless. Wait, Ruth. Sit still. And that, the wait, the biblical concept of, of waiting means really to trust, just to remain trusting in God that he's going to work things out. It doesn't mean you just sit around and do nothing all day. Well, I'm going to wait on God. I'm not going to do anything. No, no, it's not that. It's just that I, I trust him. That I'm placing my full, complete trust in God. And no one likes to wait for something as important as this. I mean, you just want to know immediately, come on. <laughs> You're just on pins and needles. This is the next key for building healthy relationships. It's trust that your redeemer is at work. Trust that your Redeemer is at work. Relationships, all relationships, hit moments of adversity, times of stress, times of difficulty. All of our human relationships will be with imperfect people, and that means sin. But we have to trust always that our Redeemer is at work, that his, He's at work at their hearts, either conforming them into the image of Christ or drawing Him into a relate, drawing them into a relationship with Himself. And we have to trust that God is at work in our hearts, that he's making us more like himself. And he's working that we should look more like him. He hasn't, he hasn't left us to navigate these waters by ourselves. And, and this is the basis of hope. This is the basis for waiting and sitting still that Naomi gives Ruth. She says, wait, because her confidence is that, hey, Boaz will not be waiting. You can wait because Boaz will not be sitting still until he's got this thing settled today. You know, there are times when I wish I didn't have to sleep. You know, that, you know there's so much to see and do and, and read and, and just, I, I wish that my body just didn't need sleep and I could just keep going and going and going. It's like, look at all these hours that just kind of waste sleeping. But God's designed us so that each day we need sleep, that we get tired, that we get weary. And if you go a whole day without sleep, you know, you pay for it the next day. You just can't do it very long. I think, I think God does that just to remind us every day of our need to trust him, to remind us every single day that while we get tired and weary, he never does that he is constantly at work, that he's never slowing down, that he's never taking a break, that his eye is always on the ball, that he's always working, that he is completely trustworthy, that there will never be a moment in life where he fails to see and know and work in your life, that he's always at work, caring for you, looking over you, loving you. You can trust that your redeemer is at work. See, Ruth can wait because Boaz will not wait. Ruth can rest because Boaz will not rest. Ruth can sit still because Boaz is arranging for the redemption of his bride. We can rest because our God will not rest. We can wait because our God will not wait. We can sit still because our God has arranged for us our redemption so that we could become the bride of Christ. My family, I don't know if you're like us, but we enjoy taking road trips. 
And as we're driving, you know, the, the kids, they generally love it. They have a good time because we put them in the back seat and we uh, put a DVD on for them and let them watch a show or something. We don't watch a whole lot of TV at our house. So when we go on a road trip, it's kind of special that they get to watch, you know, something as we're driving. And so they can just, you know, makes the trip go by quick and hours pass. They hardly know it. But Steph and I sometimes don't get to travel and enjoy the ride quite as well because the other person's driving. And we're looking and we're saying, oh man, you know, you're looking at the lane. You're saying, oh, you just kind of stay in your lane. You're kind of getting over a little bit or, you know, you need to speed up or slow down or there's the other car in the other lane. Just kind of watch out and there's the road conditions and there's the weather and whatever. And, and so sometimes you get looking at everything else and you just don't enjoy the ride. Both the kids and us, we get to the same destination. But how we arrive there is differently. We might arrive with frazzled nerves and the kids, they're jumping and giggling and laughing because they trust that we're going to get them there safe. Our God is completely trustworthy and we can rest and we can remain in him that he is going to get us to our destination safe. But sometimes we can look at scripture and think, you know, looks good on paper, but how's this going to work for my life? We can look at the story of Ruth and Boaz and many other stories in the Bible, and we can see God's truth works. These are the keys to build relationships. These are the keys to live life because it works, because he's true, because he's good, and we can rest in that. Heavenly Father, you are a good God. And God, we thank you for the privilege of being able to worship you and come together and learn about you this morning. God, we thank you for the example of Ruth and Boaz. And God, we thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit to empower us to live lives that we could never live on our own. The God, that you love us and that you adopt us into your family and you give us your Holy Spirit. And you tell us we don't, we don't have to sin anymore that we don't have to be who we used to be, that our tomorrows can be different than our yesterdays. And God, we can trust that. We can remain in that because you're trustworthy. So God, knowing that, help us to build healthy relationships, relationships that submit to your standards, relationships that prioritize you above all else, relationships that are built on honesty because we love you. So God, we recognize that we need your help to do that. So we ask all this by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your son, Jesus Christ, whom we love. Amen.